It doesn't matter what you do. Take anything, any art, any this, any that, just and push it. You're intimately involved with looking, whatever your, your media is. And it's just something about it. It's, it's very simple, it's pared down. Hello, my name's Chris Meredith, and welcome to the Common Creative Bonus Edition. I'm Paul Fairweather, and as promised, we have a special bonus edition of our conversation with Stephen Hart. Yeah, it's after we had pressed pause on our conversation, we restarted recording and got so many more insights, we wanted to share them with you. So I hope you enjoy part B of our conversation with sculptor Stephen Hart. Yes, let's bring Stephen straight back on. One of the lessons that um, Paul and I have discussed for the kind of journeys that seem impossible is, is to just start. You just get going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. you may take a few wrong turns, but if you don't get going, you're never going to get there. Well, so, well absolutely. Yeah. You never, you, and you kind of never know what I, well, I always, um, I never know what I'm doing. I kind of have, might have an intuition about something or, and, and, and I, then I have a great wrestle with, well, if I've got the idea, it mustn't be anything much or, you know, whatever. So, but in the end, you know, like you start doing something and you keep doing it. And, and um, I, I think um, I, I was asked about a, a, a quote um, to, to, to come along with and something I've used for many or found very useful um, was some, something I read in one of Tom Robbins. Have you ever read Tom Robbins' um, even cowgirls get the blues. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's quite a cosmic, sort of magical, <laughs> cosmic sort of thing. But there's a wonderful passage in um, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues where this sort of um, sorcerer is talking to an acolyte and saying, look, it doesn't matter what you do. Take anything, any art, any this, any that, just and push it and push it then beyond where it's been before and then it becomes everything else. Well, I think you can kind of do that. You know, a human can do that on, a, on quite a small scale. That's manageable. And I think that's where you begin. With, well, to me, that's where sculpture always began. And I still find that many of these objects, which aren't much bigger than hand size, actually have that magic in them. Often it gets lost, I think, in, in, in the enlargement. But um, it's that intimate experience with the hand that, that has some magic to it. That's great. It's, Thank it's, you. I've just been reading Robert Fulgham's mm. books, and in one of those books, uh, uh, What the Hell Have I Done, I think it's called, mm. in the end he, he was asked a question by this German woman about why he didn't apply his enormous talent and observations, uh, skill as a writer, to the big of the world, because Fulgham writes about just everyday occurrences. In fact, he, he, he says he writes, it's the uncommon observations about common things, mm. Uh, which was draw- I was drawn to it because of, you know, we are the common creator mm. in the podcast. Mm. And what I found is that, it, but what he said was it's about scale. Mm. He said, and league and scale, he said, mm. and that's not my scale. Mm. You know, I I just, I, I'm incensed with things in the world as much as you are, but it's not how I write. Well, you, know? you, you can't kind of, you can't deal with it. Too. You can kind of deal with, the, you know, what's, 
what's in front of you or what you're sort of thinking about. But, I mean, you know, I mean, this is, I think, becoming increasingly the fraught experience in human life. We've got so much information coming at us, telling us that people are dying in India at the rate of this or that and things are, you know, and shit's happening here and here. And what can you actually do about it? Fuck all. You know, I mean, it's just... <laughs> So, so you sort of you've got to bring yourself back somehow or other into what is possible. I saw some wonderful photographs in. I get the Guardian, the English Guardian, on online, and there was a lovely article about a photographer who I think in the seventies, just in in the Yorkshire Midlands or something, was started just going out and taking photographs of the most prosaic stuff. And, you know, a roadside, um, um, uh, uh, the entrance to an awful-looking um, industry or, you know, it was just the most banal stuff. But over a period of time, it takes on this kind of resonance that only ordinary stuff can. I mean, what else is there? You know, it, 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 there's actually more reality in the images that this fellow has taken, I think, than, you know, if he'd been going and trying to compose things, yeah. which... Um, you see, it, it reminds me when you describe that, my, my favourite author, <coughs> my favourite uh, fictional author is Haruki Marakumi, the mm. Japanese author. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but He's he, a bit like Tom Robbins, I think, a Japanese version of Tom yeah, Robbins. Yeah, but he just describes, you know, banal things. Yes. But it sounds interesting, like Absolutely. the way that he describes making a lunch of the simple noodles and a salad, mm. Mm. you know, I want to go and make a simple noodles and a salad yeah. and eat it. And, yeah. and it's just something about it. It's, yeah. it's very simple. It's pared down. Yeah. Um, so well, it's maybe, that's, that's, maybe that's what artists bring to the party. They can see things in a different way. They could well be things we've all seen before, but they just see it differently. And you go, oh, I've never seen it like that before. And that's what inspires people. You know, I suppose if you're intimately involved with looking, whatever your, your media is, and if you're engaged in looking, you have sort of stepped slightly outside, I think, of the, the, the general realm because what you see is you recognise, and especially if you're then trying to make something based on what you're seeing, it's an, which is an impossibility, really. That, you know, it's a very humbling experience um, of going from, I mean, that sculpture conversation, I must have made that hundreds of models to try to, you know, I had all sorts of big ideas about it and all that kind of thing. In the end, it got down to the practicalities of, I thought, well, there's no, there wasn't much money to do it. I'll get, I, I had been carving some stone it, and because uh, Sydney, I went through Sydney College of the Arts and Sydney is built on a bed of stone. It's a living bed of stone. And I thought, well, you know, so that's the material you'd work with down there. Um, I got a hold of these. We were able to afford two massive blocks of stone. I then had to get, pull my ideas, my big, wide-ranging ideas down to just the practicalities of, well, how are you going to create a bloody image in this huge box of stone, you mad bugger, you know? <laughs> 
and and I had to learn how you know I had to I, I figured it out as I went. I could have I was always regretted that I didn't have another sculpture to go on after that because I kind of knew how I I would have known how to approach it. You know, like I had to figure the bloody thing out along. Well, way. I'm I'm in awe because my, a lot of my work's digital. If I make a mistake, I just click undo. With a yeah. sculpture, if you do that extra chisel mark, I guess you can't click undo. <laughs> can't it's you, you can't you you've got to live with it and and so there i sort of i i i i made a trip to i actually one international conference i attended i gave a paper in dublin about the making of conversation somehow they let me into that but what, what was wonderful is we did and i was grappling with well how am i going to put hands and you know and these things that i'm doing i like big paws and it's terribly i felt cringeworthy you know i was cringing at the, what i was was doing but i actually i looked at a lot of the ancient cans and burial chambers and things in in ireland where you know these primitive etched lines are made and it gave me great sucker really that look you know this is yes it's primitive but it's it's real it's alive this is authentic it's got integrity to it um and and i think maybe that's getting lost now where we can just rub out and you know perfect the thing i i don't know I wrestle with I, there's a beauty in that that primitive the rawness of a, of a primitive work that's I, I respond yeah. how, how big are those pieces um they were two 15 ton blocks of stone they were two meters wide 1.9 high 1.5 uh, 1.6 wide right um and um i mean you know like the challenges like all right you you order two blocks of stone and the council gave me this workshop on the outside of town that had been this old bulldozer repair shop <laughs> Okay, you get these two blocks of stone. How are you going to get them off the truck into the building? And I approached the local railway engineers, and they 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 sort of got interested in the challenge, and they sent out this team of fecklers. And it was lovely to meet these guys. They they sort of winter out in on the Bathurst plains, repairing the tracks. And everything. they laid a line of tracks into the building. We put steel plates on top of their tracks and greased the line thinking we'll then slide the things along. Well, of course, as soon as we started to push, they weren't going to go anywhere. We ended up having winched them in, but we were at least able to get them in on the tracks. It was, it was lovely meeting these fellows who do something very, what we assume is really prosaic, and they, they perform the laying of this track. Well, I thought, you know, you wouldn't see a better performance. You know, like at that time, art was big on performance and all that. This was actually a beautiful thing to watch a team of fettlers laying the line up. They were so skilled and the humour and, and this wonderful foreman um, who oh, ran them like a team, you know, like a farmer does a team of sheepdogs, you know, just very quiet. <laughs> And and they and they it was so harmonious. <laughs> it's Steve. I'll tell you why that's fascinating. Is uh, that the 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 work I have in mind is it's partly inspired by a one particular rock. It's it's a rock that juts out into the sea, and it's it's 
begging for a statue. It is the ultimate sculptor's plinth. Um, the trouble is it juts out into the sea. And one of the questions in my mind is if, if I ever were able to create this statue and get the council to say, yeah, it's okay to put it out there. How would you get an enormous sculpture onto this particular rock that juts out into the sea? So I need some fettlers for the sound of it. I need some Well, no, by the sounds of it, you'd, 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 you'd have to move it on a barge and you'd need cranes and so forth. That can all be done. You know, like you've still got to go back. Okay, so it's a rock out in the ocean. So um, you'd then be wanting to think about the material and probably bronze or, you know, yeah. or metal of some sort or other. Well, bronze yeah. would probably be ideal, I guess, if, if yeah. it could work. But then you've got to fix it into the rock. And, you know, like it's, it, you've got to work through all the, yeah, the challenges. All but first yeah. of all, I would sort of model, photograph the, the rock, model it, make a model of what you're thinking about plonk it on the, you know, and then sort of, I mean, it's breaking it down, I suppose, into, I, I, you know, I, I mean, any job as possible, it's just got to break it down. <laughs> you know, I've, I've done all that because, uh, funnily enough, I've, uh, the, the sculpture idea came from, I've got a photograph of a live model on that exact rock. And I, yeah. I remember when I saw the picture, I thought, wow, that would be an incredible sculpture. So all I just need to replace the live model with a sculpture. Well, then you're going to have to contend with, you know, especially, I mean, it would be a very interesting project to do now, given that the, how I rate the women are about the male guys and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> but, you know, like there is magic in the mythology of, uh, of the, um, the, the the mermaid, and maybe it has particular relevance at this point in time. Well, you know, you would be uncovering all of that in the processes of 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 of, of making the thing. So it's a kind of a philosophical challenge as much yeah. as a as yeah. a as a practical thing. I mean, the practical thing can certainly be broken down, but then putting the case to the council why they should have one of the uh, this mermaid. You know, yeah. and, and then how are you going to deal with all the women that are going to come down and, you know, all, all the people that, and why is the mermaid apparently, you know, this gender and not that? You know? Yes. Mind you, I think I saw there's a poster just down town about RuPaul, you know, the drag guy yeah, yeah, yeah. coming out to do a big performance. So, I mean, you know, for God's sake, you know, why not a mermaid? You know, Interesting, the, the, the vast bulk of people that have ever bought my images are women. So I, yeah. I'm actually not anticipating a, a big problem in that department. Anyway, we're way off track here, aren't we? <laughs> off scale. It's easy to do. <laughs> but I just it reminds me, and I don't think we've ever chatted about it, mm. but the, well, the work of uh, Christo, uh, mm. Um, mm. and not only the, the major works. this process. Yeah, mm. not only the works themselves and all the stuff that you just talked about then about the, you know, the, the, the difficulties of putting these large-scale works together, mm. but the way that they funded yeah, that's the interesting part about the project. Yeah, doing really. all the drawings and the and the photographs and the drawings mm. on top of the photographs and it's telling those works. Yeah, which are beautiful in their own right. Well, well, but it's it's really like what is extraordinary with Christo is the conversation how he he brings the public draws the public into this otherwise ridiculous vision that he has and gets people on side. I mean, that's the great achievement, mm. I think. You know, they're, they're, they're experiments in social living mm. and conversation mm. that, um, you know, I was mindful of when I was making this inert object. 
tech conversation. I mean, the great irony to me often was I'd go out, trudged into the studio alone on the outskirts of town, built into, you know, chisel into these blocks of stone, making this thing called conversation. And the only conversation really I was having, or as much as anything else, was a conversation with myself. How am I going to do this thing? So, you know, it's kind of an awareness of your inner life too. That is, is I, I, did no, I did notice on one of the photos online that someone has put texture faces. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, they like, do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the kids get up on the things and from time to time, and I, you know, like, of course they're going to do, you know, because it's like, is there a tree, is there a rock of any sort of prominence that doesn't have graffiti on it, you know, from time immemorial? People need to sort of identify. So nowadays we just, I mean, maybe the iPhone is doing this a you know, they take a picture of themselves in front of the thing or whatever. But, but, but you know, the idea of actually handling the thing is, is you know, I think anyone who's going to make something in a public place has to accept that that indignity is going to be part of it. So you try to yeah. make something that will outlive, outlive the indignities. And I've always thought, well, the graffiti will become the patina on the thing over many years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we, you kindly gave us a, a, a quote I'm, I don't know if you had a chance. We got way off track and the, we, we was challenged to come up with a quote, an idea and a story. You've given us lots of stories. Mm. Did you? Is there an idea that you wanted to share that you perhaps haven't covered already? Well, the only idea that I've got is that everything is connected. I mean, I think to myself, do I know anything? Um, I, I sort of feel like I know less and less as I get older and, and despite my readings and God knows what, my ignorance just uh, seems to abound. But what I'm fairly certain of is that everything in existence is connected to everything else. And, you know, I'm a, and that sort of relativity that we all share is a, it's a very uncomfortable thing in a way, you know, like we, we're all, we're all just living parts of something which is just beyond our comprehension, I suppose. Um, that's, I don't know, is that, you know, it, including time. And I, I came across, just belt me out the head if I'm going on too much, I, I I, I've recently been reading W.H. Stanner's essays. Um, Stanner was uh, a great Australian anthropologist who who really made a serious study of Indigenous culture. And he, he wrote an essay called The Dream in which he tries to explain the difference, but, you know, the tragic differences between Indigenous culture and European culture. And he sort of pins it down to the Indigenous... The Indigenous people didn't have a word for time. They conceived of the dreaming of time's eternity in just as... They're just part of... And, and it makes so much sense to me, you know, whereas we... In the, the Europeans, we've we've analysed it, we've broken it down, we've calibrated time, we've 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 measured it out. Now it's so fucking precious, you know. No one can afford it, um, and yet. How have we done that? You know, like we, 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 you know, part of of our environmental challenges, I think, have all to do with our conception of time. I, look, I'm sorry, I'm a bit, I'm sort of getting off my head a bit here. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a, but it's a fascinating connect, point. Connect time, you know, these are big things. Big things. But, but I love what you said that by by kind of 
measuring it and dissecting it it's so mm. precious no one can afford it and maybe oh the indigenous people had a different concept of time and so they knew how to use their time lovely well they, did, they were able to use it without destroying things i mean they're remarkable thing you know we the you know the so-called primitives were able to exist in this place without fucking it up for <laughs> you know or maybe they fucked it up way back and then had to learn and there are there are stories uh, that they've got in their culture about fucking things up and having to yeah. learn to um pursue nature um yeah and um but you know like I, when i've been to europe i've loved seeing the highly calibrated scientific instruments which go way back and you think how were they you know clocks and and, and me measuring devices and they're quite beautiful things but in that precision to identify and measure you know we've kind of put a straitjacket around ourselves <laughs> wonderful Stephen. thank you for that well thanks for the opportunity to no, no, look, it's, it's, it's great. And, you know, I think it's exactly the stuff that we're looking for because it is those, those insights and from, from a mind that... Well, it's the stuff you can't talk about day to day, isn't it? It's so awkward when you meet someone to be able to, and I find increasingly frustrating, you know, like, you know, have a nice day, you know, <laughs> how's your day been so far, you know, and you're busy, all that sort of stuff. I mean, what do we actually talk about? <laughs> Nothing. Right. You know, and 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 the and the technology that we've got encourages us, I think, to 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 be superficial. Use it, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but maybe it doesn't. You know, like I mean, that's a value no, that's, that, that's another another whole discussion. Mm. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like not to miss any future episodes, please subscribe. And if you subscribe, it helps others find us. And a huge thank you to Zane Weber, our audio engineer, to Michaela Rock, our producer. I'm Chris Meredith. We'll see you next week. I'm Paul Fiona. Join us then. <laughs>